Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. I want to welcome those who are watching online. We're glad that you're with us today. Glad that you could join us wherever you're joining from. And uh, as Shep just said in introducing that last song, we're in a series, The Generous Life. And and maybe you're like him, that as soon as you heard that, you kind of were protecting the wallet too. I'll, I'll tell you what I said last week. This isn't a pledge campaign. There's no campaign card. There's no commitment card at the end of this or that. We, we want to allow this series to penetrate our hearts and lives because we want to be shaped what the Bible says about a subject, frankly, that it teaches on as much as any other subject. In fact, it's one of the most mentioned subjects in scriptures, money and treasures and our resources and what we do with them. And as we talked about it last week, we're struggling with this issue as a people, even as we live in a time with greater wealth than ever before. It's interesting, I saw a survey came out this week where people across the country were asked, how much money would you need to make annually? What would your annual income need to be for you to feel rich? Just think about that for a second. I want you to answer it in your head, not out loud. I want, again, we're not trying to embarrass anybody, but how much would you need to make to feel rich? Now, again, they were asking people all over the United States. I think if I were just doing it in the Bay Area, I'd probably double all the numbers because we know what life is like out here and the cost of living. But when they did it across the U.S., And listen to the the percentages. So for 6% of the people, they said, if I made under $49,999, I would feel rich. They're all 11-year-olds who live in their parents' house, but uh, (laughs) with that. If I made between 50 and $100,000, 11% said they would feel rich. If I made between 100 and $150,000, 14%. If I made between 150 and 200,000, 11%. Now, the biggest categories actually are still to come. 18% of the people, and this is across the whole U.S., said in order to feel rich, I would need to make somewhere between $200,000 and $500,000. 16% said I would need to make between $500,000 and a million. And the largest category in the whole group, 22% of the people said, for me to feel rich, I would need to make a million dollars a year. This is across the whole U.S. Almost one quarter of the people said that's, that's the amount it would take. Now, again, I don't know your living situation. I don't know what you need. I don't, I don't know what your income. It, it's just fascinating because this was on a secular site and they were shocked by it. They were like, whoa, man, the expectations have kind of gone up. Maybe needs have gone up. Prices have gone up. And, and we feel the stress of this and it weighs on us in a way. And as we saw last week, one of the reasons it does, and Jesus hits it so accurately, we struggle with this so much because it's not just about our money. It really does go down to the heart level. When he was teaching last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and just that verse where he says, don't lay up your treasures here. That last line, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your, Your heart is connected to this at a deep level. And I challenge you, I'll test that this week. This week, go invest, pick one stock and invest in it. Put some money in it. 
And I promise you, you'll start tracking it. You just will, your, your heart. Or, or maybe better yet, pick a, a ministry or fund or a kid that you're sponsored, something with that. When you have money connected to it, your heart goes with it. And, and Jesus, as he's teaching on it, he goes, and you guys actually remember last week we talked about this blind spot. That a lot of you have this blind spot that no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. He says that this is, this is weighing in your heart more than maybe you even realize. And again, let me remind you, when he's teaching, we're gonna look at another passage of Jesus today. He's teaching an audience that was very meticulous about their money and their giving and their tithing. Tithing was when you give 10%. That's all tithe means is 10%. They're a meticulous audience who gave several tithes in that. And so when he's talking about that, out of this group, they're looking at him going, no, this is a category we got down. And he goes, hmm, have you really dealt with this at a heart level? And and then he, he challenges this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All the things you're stressed out about, the amount of money you think you need to feel rich or to do life or to meet the needs of life. He goes, remember last week, he goes, you got a dad and your dad knows what you need. But sometimes you might miss how he's providing for it because we get so set on what we can see right in front of us. Uh, I read a story about a a woman, young woman, she was talking about she and her husband were uh, both going into graduate school and they didn't have a lot of resources. And he had a computer and she, she said, I had this old laptop from 1996. It was about this thick. And so she determined, I need a new laptop. And so she, she wrote her relatives and her birthday came and she said, hey, I need a laptop to, to be able to go through school. And they were very generous. She got $720 that collected. So she was prepared for it. And she and her husband are about to go on a trip to go see some friends in Colorado. Right before they left, their old Nissan pickup truck, the only vehicle they had broke down. They put it in the shop, borrowed a car, they started on their trip. And then they got the word that the repairs were gonna be more expensive than they thought. And she's kind of grinding over this. And she's meeting with her friend that she's visiting in Colorado and her friend kind of brings up, well, you know, I just bought a computer and I have a laptop. You can have my old laptop. She said, no, 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 no. I've already fixed on the laptop I'm gonna get. She dismissed it completely. Listen to her words as she and her husband, they weighed through it and prayed through it. Listen as she just describes it. She said, Charlie and I were trying to figure out how we could scrape together enough money to fix the truck. Somehow I finally allowed the thought I'd I'd subconsciously been fighting off to enter my head. I could take my friend's old computer and use my birthday money to fix our truck. I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me to surrender my plans and I knew that insisting on my own way would be saying no to him. So I yielded to his prompting. As soon as I did, it was like the scales on the eyes of my heart fell off as I suddenly remembered the number that I had jotted down that the mechanic said it was gonna take to fix our truck, $720. God knew I needed a computer. He also knew that we needed a repaired truck. He provided a free computer and he gave us the exact amount of money to the dollar that we needed to fix our truck. We wrote down this story in our journal to keep it, not just to remember God's supernatural 
provision. As much as I rejoiced in God's provision, I was sobered by how blind I was to it for so long when it was right in front of me. God wanted to bless me. He provided just what I needed in ways that I couldn't have anticipated. But my greed almost kept me from receiving that blessing. What a warning not to fix my gaze on what my heart wants, but on my father who withholds no good thing from his children. It's a powerful story. I love her humility and her honesty because I I see myself doing this all the time of, of am I really trusting God in every area and trusting him more than what I see right in front of me? See, that's why it's so important that we teach on this and, and we're doing this series because as you see, how we approach money is a core faith issue. It's a core issue of your faith. That's why the great reformer, Martin Luther, he said that, that every person goes through three conversions. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of their pocketbook. He says they don't go through it all at the same time though. He says there's, there's this growth journey in your life where when he's talking about your conversion in Christ as you're growing to be more like him, that it's harder to release, to take that next step in it. And, and as we look, it requires us to choose between what we can see and what we believe. I think this is that money or God, why it's such a struggle or maybe we're even blind to it, is money's right in front of me. I can see it. I see how it meets my needs. I see what I can do with it. it it's just so easy to chart that. And then I have to wrestle with, okay, am I gonna live life based on what I see or based on what I say I believe? Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. And and we recognize faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. And the the reality is many of these promises, even when Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven, he's calling you to make a faith choice in that moment. Do do I really believe there is this eternity? Do I really believe it has impact? Do I really believe that even the God I cannot physically see here, am I gonna so allow my life to be shaped by him that it'll even impact what I do with my money and my resources and my time? It's a choice to believe that God actually rewards those who live this way. Look how he puts it again in Hebrews. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to have faith to please God. It's just how life works. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists. I mean, that's a faith choice to even put your faith in him, to believe that he exists. And then he rewards those who seek him. Uh, one of the things I, I like studying this and teaching this, and, and I love teaching on just rewards and eternal rewards and the things that God wants to do out of this and the ways that he wants to reward us. You start studying this more. As I told you last week, God's not anti our desires. Jesus said, hey, I want you to store up. I want you to pile it up. But I, by faith, I gotta trust Man, if, if I actually did it this way, because it seems so clear how everybody else is doing, seems so clear with what I can chart and see, this may be one of the greatest areas of faith and growth for many of you in your life right now. You know, at Venture, we, tell, we, we say often around here, everybody's got a next faith step. 
I believe that. I believe the journey of looking more like Jesus of coming, it's a journey of a faith step. And so for some of you, that journey, maybe you're early on in the journey. Maybe you're just interested for the first time in spiritual things. And so you're starting a journey toward Jesus, whether you believe him or not. For some of you, you've, you've put your faith in him. You've come to believe him, but now you're, you're modeling your life to look more like him, to, to model your life, to actually live out what his word says. And I think a key part of the journey, and I think it's where some people's faith journey stalls, comes to this issue. Because you're trying to track it along and you're like, okay, yeah, I'll give him that part of my life, that part of my life. Yeah, I'll put that under his lordship. I'll trust him. And then you come to this issue and it's like, ooh, don't know that I can do that. Don't know that I really could, what we just sang, release everything to him. And when you hit that point, and it's true in any place in your life, when you come to it and God goes, hey, here's the truth I'm revealing you, and you refuse to get it, you'll stall. That's why it's so important that we talk about this, not just about a money's sake, but for the sake of our faith. And so we have to, by faith, have our lives and hearts shaped by what he says about these issues. And so what do we see in this? Well, first thing, by faith, we believe that God owns everything. By faith, because he said that. He says this in his word. And I don't have time here to list all the verses that say this. Let me just give you a few of them. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Okay, that's a pretty strong declaration. He owns everything. Everything in heaven, everything on earth. Job 41, 11, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Boy, that's a pretty strong declaration. God's looking at the universe and he goes, yeah, mine, all of it. That's one of the reasons that we teach here why your job matters so much. Because God wants to shape the whole planet for his glory and he designed you and he unleashed you and the work that you do matters so much in that. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Oh, now it's not just the world, it's all of us too. We had brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it either. You've, you always heard, heard it said, you know, you never see a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't take anything with it. I actually did a funeral once. And it was a guy and he had it written in his will because he'd heard preachers say that. So he strapped a U-Haul to the back of his hearse on the way to the, the thing. And everybody laughed. They're like, oh, you know. Now, if you look in the U-Haul though, it's still empty. Because you, you, you take none of it with you. Here's interesting. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ as well, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? Your body was bought by Christ. And so, and so if you hear it out there, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't say, well, it's my body and I can do whatever I want with my body. That is absolutely not true according to scripture. God looks at it and says, oh no, I bought that body. And it was costly. See, everything is his. God owns everything. In fact, it, one of the most freeing things you can do is just Write this down next to everything you own or think about it. Every time you pull up your bank statement, at the top of it, just put God's. When you pull out your retirement account, God's. 
Your portfolio, God's. When you look at your car, God's car, God's house. When you look in the mirror, God's body. And you might say, okay, God, let's do some work here. You know? <laughs> but, but if we just emphasize over and over and over again, cause see our hearts, we, we're tempted to walk by sight. And so we kind of look at it and go, oh, it's mine. Well, that's mine too. What am I gonna do with my money? What am I gonna do with my car, my life? See, we shift into that pretty quickly. And so part of it by faith is just embracing God's own, God owns everything. Now, here's what we see out of this. He's a gracious God and a good father who freely shares with us. Isn't it amazing? He owns everything, everything's mine. And yet he's so giving and he shares it with us. He shares life. He shares breath. He shares beauty. I mean, think about it. Just the vistas that you see. He shares sunrises and sunsets. He didn't have to make them that beautiful, but he did. When you go stand at the edge of the ocean or you see the rocks and you see the waves or you see the mountains, you look into a face of a child. When you go, and I love you, like go to an art gallery and you see these amazing expressions of art and music. You see athletic endeavors and you get real excited because your team stomps the other team in the second half like yesterday. I mean, you see, yeah, I know, I gotta preach to my audience here. He's such a good, gracious God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. I love that last line. He's not gonna change tomorrow and become stingy. So the graciousness you've seen from the beginning of time is the graciousness you're gonna see to the end because he's such a good and gracious God. The other thing that you can realize in this as well is his commands regarding generosity and money are never based on what he needs, but are always for our good. Because he already owns everything, he didn't write a bunch of commands in the Bible about this because he was, you know, sitting around going, hmm, we need a little bit more money. Hey, uh, hey Paul, write, write a little bit about giving. Come on, put that in there. We need some money. He, he, he can structure it any way he wants. And, and I, I like this, and hopefully this will be freeing for you because sometimes, especially when you come to a series and a church and church is talking about money, you can kind of feel skeptical because you go, well, you guys need money. And we do. That's how he structured the giving in that. But it's not because God is needy. And, and so as you just think about any of his commands directly from God, there's a freedom that comes out of that. And I know sometimes we get jaded. We get jaded because we see abuses to it. We see churches that abuse it. You can look at it and there's systems out there and I'll turn on the TV sometimes. And you know, when the guy's standing up there and going, God gave me a vision last night and I need to upgrade my jet. I'm not lying. That, that was two years ago in the middle of COVID. God has given a vision. I need, you know, a Learjet, not the current jet I have. Or there's, there's a Instagram follow. You can do preachers and sneakers. I don't know if you ever heard about this one. It's this guy, it's an evangelical guy. He's looking, he's tracking different preachers, different worship things. And he started tracking what they were wearing and how expensive some of the outfits were. 
You know, and he's up there with like a $25,000 watch or shoes. I didn't know that shoes were this expensive, like Gucci slippers for $1,100. Jordan one retro high Dior sneakers, $7,200. Supreme X Louis V Jacquard denim parka, $9,000. But they're preaching a $9,000 parka. Christian, how do you say this, Lebutin? Is that right? This is obviously not my wheelhouse here. Yeah, Christian Lebutin or Stephanie Ritchie. I mean, he just started tracking all this. And again, I'm not against anybody having nice stuff, but I'm kind of like this guy you're looking at and going, come on, come on, really? And maybe you've experienced that in the past. You've seen it. And so it kind of makes you skeptical about it. Hear me, maybe you're skeptical of us. Maybe you're skeptical of church. Here's what I can promise you. You don't have to be skeptical of God at all. And it's one of the reasons throughout this series, I hope that you're doing the daily reading. I hope that you're just allow yourself to be immersed in his word because he doesn't need a dime from you. In fact, he already owns all your dimes. And if he wanted tomorrow, he could just go, yeah, I'm gonna claim all of it and sucks it all back in. And we're left with nothing. But he doesn't do that to us, does he? Because he's so generous to us that we can almost take it for granted to the point that we think it's ours. See, scripture calls us to, to look at it this way. And so what we recognize then is by faith, I recognize that I'm the manager, not the owner of the resources he's given me. I'm only the manager, I'm not the owner. That's a big difference. Because see, when I look at my stuff, it's easy for me to go, this is what I own. And what scripture teaches me is that no, actually God owns all that, but he's given me, he's given you a big responsibility. How are you gonna manage? How are you gonna steward what I've given you? In fact, Jesus tells a parable around stewardship. Some say it's the strangest parable in the Bible. It's an interesting one. And it's just like Jesus, he uses it to disrupt the way we think about it. Look at it. We'll look at the parable and I'll, I'll give you a few points out of it. Jesus said to his disciple, there was a rich man who had a manager, a steward, and charges were brought to him that the man was wasting his possession. The rich man hears this guy who's supposed to be managing his stuff is wasting it. And he called him in and he said, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, I, I like the honesty of this guy. He said, what shall I do since my master's taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. He goes, you know, I, I can't do la manual labor. I'm not built for it. And I don't wanna beg. What am I gonna do? And so he says, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. I've got to make some friends for the other side of this. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He says, well, I owe a hundred measures of oil. Calls him and he says, what's your bill to the master? He says, well, hundred measures of oil. He said to him, quick, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Let's cut that in half. See, he's still in power. He still has management. It's not been stripped of him yet. So he says, I'm gonna cut the bill for you. He said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. He just starts going out. Everybody that owed the master, he said, well, I got time. I'm gonna slash everybody's bill. 
Now, this is where the story gets strange because you would think Jesus comes back and says, what a dishonest man. What a jerk. Look what Jesus says in it. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. He goes, oh, that's pretty smart of you. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He said, this, this world, they're smarter when it comes to these resources than you guys at times. And I tell you, look at this. He says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, in that, you look at it and you go, wait, shouldn't Jesus have pointed out the dishonesty? There's a lot of question around the interpretation. Some say that the guy was only cutting his commission, maybe. Some say maybe the, the guy was charging too much, maybe. Here, here's Jesus' point. He's not trying to go, hey, go out and be unethical like that. He said, here's what I want you to take away from it. This guy actually believed the master. And the master said to him, your time of management's about to end. And so he thought, how do I use what I have now for when this is over for the people that I'm gonna need then so that they'll welcome me in their house, so they'll give me a job, so they'll be prepared for it. And Jesus puts it in an eternal perspective and he says, hey, how are you using what he calls unrighteous wealth, this wealth that's gonna end, this wealth that someone could steal or, or it gets corrupted, all these different parts. He says, how are you using this now and I love how he puts it, for the eternal dwellings to come. For the people that you're gonna see in eternity, for the people that are there. What's your welcome party gonna be like there based on what you're doing now? Look, look how he puts it in the, the verses. He says, one who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. It's a great principle in life. If you're faithful now in the little that you have, no matter what bracket you said, God looks at that and he goes, that's a good manager. And they're faithful in what they have. But if you're dishonest with it, you're, you're gonna only get more dishonest when it's more. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. And so he says, hey, if you're not being faithful now with the resources God's given you right now, who will entrust you true riches? When he talks about true riches, he's not going, who's gonna get you up to that biggest bracket? He's talking about eternity, guys. He's talking about the way that God wants to lavish. Remember when he says, store up for yourself that treasure that nobody can steal? And we, we don't even know the, all the categories around that. We do know from scripture though, that he teaches very clearly that how you manage what you did matters then. If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? If you're not a good steward around this. Now, look what he's teaching in this. Each of us will give an account one day for what he's given us to manage here. Not just in this parable, but you see it. Paul talks about it quite a bit. He says, you're gonna stand before the, the bema, the judgment seat of Christ. One day you're gonna stand, this is for believers. And you're not gonna be judged there based on your sin. This is where we get it all wrong. We think we're gonna stand in front of Jesus one day and he's gonna tell you everything wrong that you did. If you're a Christian, Everything wrong that you did has already been paid by Jesus on the cross. You're never judged on that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can just kind of scratch that off. I'm never gonna have to give an account for what I did wrong in this. Because Christ did. That's one of the reasons I invite everyone 
If you don't know Christ, yes, it says all the books are open. They go through your life in this. If you know Christ, that's all forgiven. So what are we judged for at the judgment seat? He's gonna look at you and go, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you manage the resources? How did you manage your time and your life? All of us will give an account. Were you faithful? And you go, yeah, but I didn't get as much as anybody else. That doesn't matter. He's not gonna do it, oh, that you had to have this huge amount. It's just, were you faithful with what you had? As you do that, he's interested in what we do with all of it, not just what we tithe or give. This is really particular to his audience. Remember, his audience is sitting there going, man, we're great givers, so we got this part down. And, and Jesus is teaching a much bigger principle here that he's wanting us to, to realize. It's, it's not just what you gave. It's not like, oh man, you tithed or you gave that amount. Okay, you're done. I mean, sometimes we, we almost treat God like he's the mafia. You know, the mafia come around and they go, hey, we're gonna give you some protection. So you give us an amount and then we'll protect you. I don't, the mafia probably doesn't talk that way. You know, I don't, I don't think Scorsese's gonna call me for the next Goodfellas or whatever with that. But, but you get the principle, that sense of you give a little bit and then we got you. We'll protect you. We got you covered with that. And we almost approach God that way. I, I love how one woman, Genia Obel, she wrote, she said, our seven-year-old daughter won $2 in Sunday school because of her memory work. After the morning service, the pastor's wife congratulated her. Our daughter proudly announced, I put it all in the morning's offering. How wonderful, the pastor's wife exclaimed. I'm sure that God will be pleased. Yes, the girl said. Now maybe he'll let me do some of the things I want to do. <laughs> now we, we laugh at her, but y- you know, sometimes that's how we approach it. As long as I put some, or if I put this amount, or I do, as long as I've covered whatever that is, it's a little bit almost like, God, haven't I, I paid you off in this? And I'm supposed to experience now, I can feel the tension we're all feeling, especially those of you that, that we really give and we do give sacrificially. And hear me, as we walk through, what does that mean? How does God bless that? I, I think it actually unlocks so many blessings in life that people aren't experiencing because they've stopped in their faith journey and they've come to a halt because they just won't release this area. And so they're not experiencing life as it was meant to be. So I absolutely believe that. But I also believe, and the audience he was teaching had so reduced it to a legalism, had so reduced it to as long as we cross that off, we're good, that Jesus teaches in a way, he says, "Mm, let's, let's disrupt that. God's actually interested in everything. And and as you realize that faithfulness now has an impact on our reward then, as I told you, when we we see Jesus and stand before him. And and I I love how he puts this because it really does come down to, do I believe it? Jesus comes back and he says the exact same verse we saw in Matthew. And this interesting, he repeats it again. Totally different context, totally different story. But he says, hey, let's bring this back up because remember when he talked about it in Matthew, he says, you may have a blind spot about it. So 
let's, let's talk about this again. No servant can serve two masters for he either will hate the one or love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And that's pretty uncomfortable again. If you're like me, it's like, okay, yeah, I got that last week. That was good, glad. It made me a little uncomfortable last week, but that, that's good. But here's Jesus again, and he's teaching. He says, let me teach about stewardship. Let me teach what you're doing. Are you managing what God's given you? Are you really trusting him? Do you actually believe it impacts eternity? Do you, do you trust in that way? And then he brings this back up again. And he goes, because this is another way of really evaluating. Do you trust God or money? Do, do you walk by sight what you can see and touch and feel and know and gives me security and success and significance and all those things. Are you willing to just radically trust God by faith and trust him in an area where you're taking what you can see and you're actually allowing him to shape what you do with it and how you live with it. See, it always comes back to an issue of the heart. Will I trust the money I see or the God I cannot see? It always comes back to our hearts, guys. And that's why as we've been in this series, before we, we jump into parts and specifics and all the things maybe you were wary of, I, I've been so convicted. We've got to spend so much time. This is what Jesus spends so much time in because he recognizes, man, I don't want to just turn you into Pharisees that, they give, but they do it for all the wrong reasons. He said, I, I don't want you to lose out on what you can do stewardship-wise with all of your life, with all of your resources, with your work, with your time, with your home, with your family. But it's gonna come down to the heart. Do you trust with the heart? You know, a lot of times when we teach this passage, in fact, I, I read a lot of people look through different teachings on this. We usually end with this verse because it's the last verse that Jesus teaches. Look what Luke puts in the next verse though. It, it's fascinating to me. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The, the Pharisees, and remember, these are the guys, they were meticulous about what they gave and tithe, but they also were known, they loved to go give it so that everybody saw what they did. They loved virtue signaling. They loved it. God hates it. It's, it's fascinating. If you look in Jesus' teaching, how many times he says, just do these things in secret. Just give in secret. Spend secret time in your prayer closet. You don't have to do this for the sake of anyone else. But even though they were great, meticulous givers, they still never wrestled with this at a heart level. They had the blind spot. And Jesus loved them so much, he's willing to bring it back up again. He's willing to make them uncomfortable. He's willing to dive into this issue because remember, he's not doing it because he needed anything. He's doing it because he's a generous God. And he wants them and he wants us to experience the freedom that comes out of this. 
He wants us to experience as well what can come in life when we really release it to God. And so as we finish out today, I just wanna finish out and just allow you to reflect maybe in your own heart with a few questions. Just, just the first one, when it comes to the resources God has given me, am I living by faith or sight? It'd be a great question sometime today just to ask God about it. God, am I really living by faith with what you've given me? Or am I just going based on what I can see, what I know, what I've planned, my way in it? And as we heard from that young woman, when you do that, sometimes you're missing out on the very blessings he's put right in front of you. Will you trust him with that? The second thing, do I manage his resources in a way that I know pleases him? Am I a good manager? Am I a good steward? And you might be honest with yourself. You go, I don't know. That's one of the things I love about scripture. It teaches practical stewardship principles. In fact, we'll dive into them next week. Just some practical things that the Bible just says, hey, God's not mysterious about this. He'll tell you how to do it in a way that you can experience the kind of freedom we're talking about. And it's so much bigger than just, oh, giving. It's all of your life he wants you to experience it. Here's the third question though, all of us should ask, am I investing now in what I know will be rewarded then? Am I investing now? And, and, and as you think about it, notice from the story, what did Jesus say is the best investment? It's people. Are you investing? I love how he puts that. He says, hey, the steward lived in a way so that he would be welcomed on the other side of his engagement. He says, are, are you living in a way that you'll be welcomed in heaven? In fact, here's the question I'd ask you, who's gonna welcome you in heaven? And, and often when we think about heaven, we go, well, I'm gonna see my loved ones, I'm gonna see those. But what Jesus is describing here, it's the people that you used your resources to invest in. That they're standing there and he says, they'll welcome you into their eternal homes. I don't know what that looks like. If, like there's a whole line of people, they can't wait to have you over for dinner. And you go, I don't even know them. But somebody walks up to you and you, you go, well, I don't know you. And they go, yeah, you know what? I was a kid and I was able to go to a vacation Bible school. And I, I started coming every week and nobody loved me in my life, but somebody loved me every week. And they introduced me to Jesus. And I grew up discipled in this church because you supported it. And I just wanna welcome you because the impact you had. You got a couple that walk up and they go, our marriage was about to fall apart. We were this close to divorce. And we were able to come to biblical life coaching. We were able to come and people invested in us. And we not only saved our marriage, it changed our home. It changed our kids. We, in fact, we wanna introduce you to the generations who were impacted because your investment made that possible for us in a time period we didn't think. People from around the world, and I'm just thinking about just venture with that. When somebody walks up to you and they go, hey, I'm from the Bale region of Ethiopia, unreached region, but the gospel came there and my village experienced the gospel and I got to know Jesus Christ because you gave. 
I was a migrant on a train in Mexico and I got to stop at a, at a resource house and I got clothes and food and I heard the gospel. I was a young woman who, who was right on the edge of being a sexual slave, but I was rescued and I was taught a trade and I was introduced to Jesus because of your work in India. I was in a closed country, but a broadcast came across the Middle East and I heard the name of Jesus because of what you invested. And I just, hey, I don't know who you're eating dinner with. I want you over at my house. I wanna welcome you. Guys, over and over again, that we don't even realize that God has set it up in a way that I get to invest in things that have impact for eternity because it impacts people. It changes the way you see things, guys. I experienced it this week. Tuesday night, I had a meeting for our better man. We had our better man leaders. I'm excited about it, guys. Thursday morning, we're kicking off. We had our leaders meeting. And when I finished early enough that I thought, you know, I'm gonna go check out what's happening in student ministry. And so I just kind of slipped in the back and there's all these teenagers in high school and Charles Homer's up there teaching and he's walking through the book of Ecclesiastes and he's teaching them what matters in life. He teaches them the things that's gonna last in life. And you know, and I'm seeing a couple of my kids sitting in there and I don't know about you, when you have someone who's teaching your kids truth, there's something in your heart that just go, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful they're hearing this. I'm thankful these kids are hearing it. And then I, I slipped over to middle school and, and Diane Clemens is up teaching and she's talking about Esther and Esther's willingness to take a faith step instead of being afraid and stand up for her people and speak up for what God had called her to do. And I'm watching this packed out room of middle school kids. And I had the same experience as I'm watching both of them. Part of me got so excited because I thought, I am so glad I support this. This is what I want my resources going to. This is what's gonna matter. And I don't know which of these kids in this room, but I gotta believe one day I'm gonna have dinner with one of them in their eternal home and we're gonna celebrate together what God was able to do. See, Jesus teaches this. God teaches this not because he needs something from you. It's because he wants something for you. And so I just ask you, one day when you're in heaven, what's your welcome party gonna look like? And you determine now what that's gonna look like then. But to believe that it's gonna take a step of faith. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you in your amazing design, a God who needs nothing is willing to share everything. And you call us to live like you and be like you. So I, I pray that for each of us today, we wanna walk in that freedom. We wanna see this world the way you see it. We wanna invest in the things that will last. Lord, I pray for each person here. I just pray that you would just continue to free our hearts from the things that we get so locked down about. Lord, I pray maybe there's somebody here, they've never taken that faith step to put their faith in Jesus. And one day they're gonna stand in front of you and they do have to give an account for everything they did wrong. Lord, I pray today they would trust and believe 
and receive the forgiveness for all eternity. And Lord, for all of us who know you, I I pray that we would actually believe one day we'll stand in front of you and we will give an account for all that you gave us. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. I pray that you would give us heart to walk by faith and not by sight. And we thank you that we have the privilege to do this because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.